Welcome to the Velo Chumps podcast. I'm Eric Poli. We are spanning three time zones tonight. This is fantastic. Mike Green, you're out in the home of mountain biking. Tell us what's going on. I'm just uh, getting ready to work. Might might get out this week and ride a little bit. I'd like to ride Mount Tamalpe, which I think is the uh, the birthplace of mountain biking. Or yeah, so they say. Chad, you're Chad literally has told me that he did it though. You're literally in Marin County right now, right? Yes, yes, yes. Not for not for cycling reasons. He's out there for work, so don't get too excited out there, audience. He's a uh, you know work trip, but he's out there on the West Coast. Chad Locker. Holding it down on the east coast of the country. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. I, I want to be on the west coast. I want his time zone. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. At this point, we're doing the podcast. It's so late. <laughs> yep. And then uh, Randy Nicewanger back again. Got a streak going. Yeah, this was this was a good one, guys. I'm glad I'm able to make today. Awesome. Ryan Brainer and myself, of course, we're holding down the uh, central time zone. So we got... We just—you should have traveled to the Mountain Time Zone for some reason, Randy. Then we could have had all four of them in the U.S. But anyway, Ryan Brainer, how you doing? I'm doing good. How's it, Eric Pulley? I'm good. I'm good. I was sort of a surprise pod tonight, so I'm pretty excited. I'm stoked. We're doing another pod after such a short time. I've, you know, I didn't even get to miss you guys yet. But anyway, um, I do want to bring up one quick thing before we get started. I want to point out it's—it's it's not that we don't trust chad and his expertise or anything like that but we are not any of us in the bike industry chad is not in the bike industry but i'm gonna give chad some props because there are i have been researching a little bit more about this shimano recall that we have been that we talked about two weeks ago now and some people in the bike industry that are very knowledgeable have pretty much concurred with chad that this issue is due to corrosion from sweat salt water entering the cranks and maybe chad was right that these cranks have seen a bad life what do you think chad you happy to hear that i'm i'm ecstatic to hear that because i i have a lot of Shimano <laughs> cranks and i treat mine very well so i'm hoping never to replace one that way but you know <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly what i was able to glean from from some of the experts out there in the industry is that one possibility is, is that water was finding its way into these cranks, either via the spindle or via other potential areas. And then there was potentially corrosion inside because, of course, regardless of why they're called hollow tech, these crank arms are hollow. And it's possible that um, water was getting in there, corroding the inside of those cranks that was potentially leading to the failure of the bonds. That's a possibility. This is not uh, confirmed or anything like that, but it appears that the change that happened after the whatever, R whatever date code, potentially, you know, it, it stopped water from entering the crank arm itself. So, so anyway, the point is, Chad... Good job with your uh, your analysis of the situation. <laughs> my, my analysis for a decade. Yeah, I think that yeah, I like really it. Go by right now. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and you know, based on what you know, based on that, again, just going back to this real quickly, it's probably a good idea to wash your bike and dry it. 
dry and dry it. Yes. <laughs> That's actually a good point. We didn't mention that last time. It's a good idea to dry your bike. Um, obviously you want to dry it off with, um, whatever way you can with rags is fine. I generally will take my air compressor and try to blow out some of those last air drop or water drops that I can't get to with the, uh, um, with the rag itself. Not everybody has an air compressor. I've seen people use leaf blowers, things of that nature to try to get some, uh, airflow over to, you know, quick up, you know, get the drying happening a little bit better. So anyway, point is take care of your bike. So it'll take care of you. Right. I, I'm a big fan of the leaf blower, by the way, because it, yeah. Not only does it clean your bike, but if you're like, I don't know, trying to annoy your neighbor, it's great at you know, <laughs> seven in the morning. Anyway, just saying. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great, Chad. I'm glad I'm glad you live in uh Canton, Ohio, not in, anymore here in New Lenox, Illinois. So that's great. Good to know. So, guys, anything happened in the bike world in the last few days that we want to talk about? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Tade Pogacar wins a third, his third straight at Lombardia. No, that's not what we're going to talk that's about. That's sad. But it was, yeah, it was, I know. It was a good race if anybody watched it, but yeah, not. we're not covering that here. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's what you want to talk about. But there was another race the same weekend. It was the UCI Gravel World Championships. Men's and women's. Women's on Saturday, men's on Sunday. So... First of all, did any of us watch these races? Well, besides you with a illicit VPN account, like, no, <laughs> nobody, nobody here watched them. Nobody. No. 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 Did anybody, no. So, and then what? The three people in Italy who listened to our podcast, they could have watched, right? Legit. They could have for sure. It was in Italy this this race, and it, not only was it in Italy, but it was broadcast on italian television so they didn't even need like any any sort of streaming service they could just turn on their tv and watch it lucky them unless they wanted to watch on saturday then they couldn't watch that either that's correct if they wanted to watch on saturday they couldn't because there was no broadcast of the women's race on saturday we'll get to that we'll get to that in a little bit but uh let's talk a little bit about the race so the let's talk about the racing a little bit so first we'll start with the women's race um the quick version of this is that Cassia Niwadoma won, if anyone remembers. She was uh, on the podium. I think believe she came in second place at the uh, Tour de France film. Was it second Correct. or was it third? She was on the podium, but I can't remember. Yeah, she was on the podium. I thought she was second and Kopecky was third, but it could have been the other way around. It could be that Kopecky was second and she was third. But in any case, she was on the podium at Tour de France Femme. Highly aggressive racer. If no one's ever watched. Very. Like, she will just attack 17 times and lose a stage. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, she definitely is not shy about trying to win the race. That is for sure. And you know what? This time it worked out for her. She was able to um, put in some big attacks and her, you know, Rival riders, they couldn't follow her, and she managed to get away solo and uh, get to the end all on her own and win the rainbow jersey. But I now I will say the the gravel rainbow jersey, right? I mean, do you you get to wear it at you don't get to wear it at next year's gravel race? So, where do you wear this jersey? That's a great question. We were uh, talking about that. I don't know where you wear this jersey. 
if you, um, I suppose it's a UCI jersey. So what are the UCI gravel races? It's not like you can wear it at uh, Unbound or at, uh, you know, SBTGRVL or however you would say that. I don't think those aren't UCI races, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we could get into my opinion of where this race should go, but maybe we should cover this in the men's race, and then we can go off onto my bizarre ranting tangents, as always. Yep. So so in the women's race, the top 10, they were all World Tour pro riders. So um, I don't know what if anyone has an opinion on what that means or not, but it were it was the... It looked like this, the the finish could have been from a, I think you said this, Chad, it could have been from a uh, spring classic, you know, start list slash finish list if you if you were considering the top 10. I, I mean, the, the women's field in general, just sadly, just isn't that deep yet, right? The, the, the talent pool just hasn't developed. The revenue isn't there. So they just have a smaller, you know, subset of athletes to pull from of this kind of caliber. So who are you going to have at the women's? gravel worlds for the most part it's going to be the women's world tour right and they don't have um uh, i don't you know there's no women's Lombardia happening the same weekend to sort of pull the talent away from so but yep. i mean there were probably i mean i think a couple of people traveled over probably from the u.s on the women's side or whatnot but other than mm-hmm. that, it wasn't going to be nearly as a diverse field it was going to be the same who's who that is probably dominant in women's world tour and women's cyclocross but in many cases there's overlap between those two anyway yep would have yep. known who all kind of the the top 20 favorites were going to be going into this event um and i think what two and three does was that a shocker for anyone on the on the podium we had, no. we had demi volering and who was who was third for this one it was um so demi volering was third chad and sylvia persico was second so yeah not a surprise, yeah, not second, a surprise. Right? i mean they, all of these i think were stage winners at fems at some point right or, or pretty darn close podium finishers in any regard so um, yeah. Now, podium. now speaking of U.S. riders, Lauren Stevens did come in six, so give her credit. Of course, she does ride for EF Education, Tipco SVB, so it's it's not like she's a gravel privateer, but she she did win. And I'll give a little shout out. She was a, she was supported by her teammate Kylie Spearing, who is uh, still my coach, formerly uh, Ryan and Mike's coach. So so shout out to her. She finished the race. She well, was, uh, you know, riding in support. Sarah Sturm, who is not a world tour bro, got like 11th or something, didn't she? Or 16th or something? She was 16th, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was 16th. She was the highest finisher of the non, what I would call non, you know, yeah. people that are on. She's a, She was the highest privateer finisher. We'll call it, we'll put it that way. I have something I want to say, but I feel like Chad should give his hot take first. What? Go with yours. No, like we're going to, I want to argue. We with said you. we were going to, we said we were going to talk about the men's race and then, yeah. then we were going to get to Chad's well, hot take. Mine is both men and women, but I, I want to argue with Chad. So I want to hear Chad's hot take and then I want to, well, we have to wait till we get through to men's well, get, real okay. quick. Then let's get through the men's and then we right. can argue and that'll be a great, All right. great podcast. Okay. This is, this is awesome. So yeah, we're going to argue tonight. We got a lot of arguments tonight. This is going to be a fun podcast. Yeah. You ready, Randy, for a lot of arguing? Let's or, do it. Yeah, wait. This Let's do great. it. So I, hold on. I got the popcorn. Awesome. So <laughs> in the uh, in the men's race, we had, um, you know, a lot of again, same type of thing. We had a lot of world tour riders in the uh, in the race. But of course, like Chad said, Il Lombardia was going on. Now, it's two different kind of races. Il Lombardia, you had your, um, you know, 
Tadej Pogacar, we just mentioned at the beginning, he won his third straight in Lombardia. So you had you had riders of that nature. You had Remco Evenepoel. You had who else was riding in that? Who who else was a contender in that that race? Chad. I mean, Ro- I mean Roglic was uh, starting on that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Ro- Ro- Roglic was the other Rem- the other big name there. Remco was there. I mean, it wasn't. Um, yep. I mean, the the problem was you had this is kind of like the closeout of all cycling season, and I. I'm a little upset that gravel UCI has decided to put a gravel event, which is kind of like a throwaway event in my book for this weekend in, right? Because you had kind of the, the season finale for a cross country mountain bike, which tends to have lap mm-hmm. with the world tour pros, right? So Pidcock wasn't going to be at anything because he was off doing the mountain bike thing. Then you have Il Lombardia and then we, we throw in UCI gravel. There's no good reason why UCI gravel should be this reason. In my opinion, when you've got, the monument and the mountain bikes, which are much better established events, sort of closing out their weekends here. It's like we could this UCI gravel is kind of like a throwaway event. It's like move it two weeks out and it's yeah. fine, right? Fair enough. Now we did have some big names in this race. Of course, Wout Van Aert was a big name in this race. He actually ended up finishing eighth. Um, now the top, the podium of this race, we did have Monte Mahoric win. So he was in first. We had Florian Versmeers and Connor Swift. So you had three World Tour pros come in first, second, third. But the exciting part was now coming in fourth and fifth, unlike the women where Sarah Sturm was the, the privateer coming in sixth. We had two privateers racing it out to the line. As, as we mentioned, this was not on broadcast in the U.S. unless you had a VPN like me. And I got to see this. So you had two privateers. Come to the line for fourth and fifth, sprinting it out. You had U.S. gravel extraordinaire Keegan Swenson and Chad's favorite gravel rider of the ball, Alejandro Valverde, who is currently not on a team. So we're going to call him a privateer. He is not no longer on Movie Star. So we had Alejandro and Keegan come to the line fourth, fifth, and uh, Alejandro pipped him in the sprint, took that fourth place. Keegan coming in fifth. I don't know how to feel about that because it's sort of like, right? We have, you know, Keegan is clearly in a different league when he's over here racing, right, in the Lifetime Series. And I have argued he's a legitimate World Tour pro that probably should be racing World Tour pro, right? That's the caliber racer he should be with instead of beating up on, you know, schmucks like us at gravel events paying a whole bunch of money. But then at the same time, like Valverde is now retired from the world tour, right? Like meaning yep. he's too old to be competitive in the world tour supposedly. And he just beat Keegan in a sprint at the end of UCI gravel worlds. Like, well, remember what I was saying? Like, I don't know what Keegan's sprint is like. Cause he's always <laughs> off the front by like 10 minutes. He never has to sprint. So I mean, Keegan, I, I don't know. Keegan has <laughs> numerous times said that he doesn't trust his sprint against a true, straight up sprint guy, which is why he always tries to make a move. And, you know, as of late, he hasn't had to like, but he's tried to do things before the last few Ks. So he doesn't have to sprint against somebody. And he's self-admitted that. Okay. Valverde. Okay. Like this guy's older than Tom Brady. Is he not? Like, <laughs> I actually don't think he is. But <laughs> at this point, he's old. At this point, lifetime ought to invite him back to events. Like he would be. Well, that's what I was. That's what I was just going to say. He's going to be on the hit squad next year, riding a Santa he Cruz Stigmata. He should be. Although, do we know what anybody won these events on? Because every bike I well, had a fantastic camo paint scheme to hide what. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. Know. Speaking of that, unlike last year 
in last year's Gravel Worlds, everybody was riding road bikes. Everybody. But in this year, everybody rode um, gravel bikes. So that was exciting. They changed the course up enough that what I heard was that the common tire size was right around 40 millimeters gravel frames. I actually don't even know the name of the bike that Cassio was riding on. I believe it's a, a yet to be released Canyon. I think there's a few people been riding. Is it the new, um, the new grail grail? Yeah. So I, I just, yeah, I, we, we, everyone's assuming it's the new grail. I don't think it's been well, um, officially released, the, the, but like I cared about was, was Mahorich's bike, right? It also was a camo, but I was like, doesn't he ride for like Miranda? Isn't that the bike? Marita, yeah, yeah, it's a new. I forget the name of it. It's a new uh, gravel bike from them. Which yeah, one I found it. I found an article on it. It's it's a Marita or Marita or however you say that, but it's it's brand or sponsor correct. Mm, that's great because you can't buy one here because we're a specialized embargo. Yeah, yeah, joy. <sighs> I will say. Oh, it's the Marita Silex. Marita Silex, Chad. New Marita Silex spotted underneath Mate Mahorek at the Gravel Worlds. He rides it to victory. Can you put a dropper post in it? That's what I want to know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it has a round. I didn't. Most of these don't have a round C post these days, so I don't know. That's a good question. Marita Mahorek special has a dropper post. Of course. I mean, I will say he did. He did take some significant risks because the the one thing that I found interesting watching this race, and some of the only one that watched it, it was not like a world tour road race. So they were not allowed to get mechanical assistance from a car or any sort of swanee on the side or anything like that. And who helped? Who, there's those photos of uh, Wow fixing his tire or plugging it, right? Who was holding his bike for him? No, no, no. You you couldn't. It, it's not like you, you couldn't get uh, like a support car or something like that. Okay. So you, um, it was kind of like a, allegedly supposed to be like a legitimate gravel race where you couldn't. Uh, get sort of like your normal you couldn't get like a bike change for example you had to finish on the same frame that you started with so you, you weren't allowed to get a bike change anything like that you had to do your own own mechanic stuff i guess if you were going to have a flat you had to fix it yourself and so on um and the other thing is they didn't have radios so they didn't know the time gaps like they would in the normal worlds or race so mahorik was ahead by close to a minute and i mean he was bombing down some of these descents and he actually slid out in one of a little tight corner going onto this little bridge and he uh he just couldn't hold it up slid out on the drive side so he was pretty lucky he did not uh damage his drivetrain damage his real derailleur in any way but got back up got back on the bike and and he was fine um but part of the reason he had as big of a um a big of a lead as, as he did is versmirch was uh was maybe like 20 to 30 seconds behind and he dropped a chain and he had to stop and put it back on himself. So he lost about 10 seconds there, 10 to 15 seconds. And then when Mahorik slid out, I won't say he crashed when he slid out, lost control. He, he probably lost five to 10 seconds back, but then it all evened out and he, he was able to hold it to the end. So, so that was what happened at the gravel worlds or I'm sorry, the UCI gravel world championship. So now Chad, now Chad, what is your, hot take that you wanted to get to once we got through the racing. I, I, I want to ask one question and maybe, yeah, maybe Chad yeah. can answer it as well. <clears throat> I saw Keegan and others, or maybe even Ethan and Kylie mentioned that they were starting in the back rows. Was there some kind of qualifier that put them at the back or was it just by chance that they were starting there? What was the, what was the lineup like or how did this have determined 
I honestly don't know the answer to that question. From talking to Ethan, he said that there were some UCI points. So there were, this year, UCI gravel qualifying races. And that was one of the races that Ethan won. He won a UCI qualifying. It was a That was a race he beat. I forget the, the guy he beat. But then uh, Freddie Ovette came in third. So, you know, that was a big win for Ethan. And... I believe that that um, winning that UCI qualifier race should have allowed him to be, you know, called up higher into the start because there were actual UCI gravel races on the calendar this year. And I guess, you know, that's where Mahorek could wear his uh, his jersey next year if he wanted in one of the UCI qualifiers. But uh, something tells me he'll have something else to do that weekend besides go to that UCI gravel qualifier. But in any case... I believe there were UCI points that should have um, that, – that's what I heard – that should have somehow helped certain riders get a little bit of a, a call up into the field. But I don't know if that didn't happen the way it should have. I don't know the story behind that. Apparently, it was not um, – it was not as organized as it could have been. We'll put it that way. That's how I understood it. Yeah, from what I gotcha. what I read, it sounded like – it should have been UCI points as a UCI event, but it sounds like that did not happen. Yeah. Yep. Um, I had a, so it looks like Mahorich was on Shimano and he crashed drive side. I'm surprised his derailleur didn't go into crash mode or maybe it did. Well, he- I mean, I, to be honest, when I've had my bike go into crash mode, it's been on a very like significantly, you know, sharp hit to my, to my wheel or something. Cause I've gone into crash mode plenty of times with, um, without crashing, if that makes sense, you know, you just have a, you hit a big pothole or you hit a big bump or, you know, even like I've had it where for whatever reason you take a little bit of air and you come back down and, uh, you come back down sharply and that, that, that jarring sets it into crash mode. This, this was a low speed, like he was making a turn, he had slowed down pretty significantly, and he just sort of lost control. The wheel kind of slid out underneath him. So I don't feel that there was any. I didn't notice or see any sort of significant, uh, you know, hit to that that to his bike that would have set that off. He like walked out and hit like a hay bale, right? Like yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, on our ride on Saturday, a guy with us literally um, tried to get up onto the road from some grass track and literally just fell over and his went into crash mode. Well, you know, it again, it didn't go into crash mode. So he was fine. Anyway. Isn't it pretty simple to get out of crash mode though? Isn't it just a matter of a couple? I mean, it is, but the problem is you're, you're, and you know, now we're getting into like very detailed bike tech stuff, but on a Shimano derailleur, if you're, if it goes into crash mode, you have to, you know, reset the crash mode with your A junction on this new bike. I don't know where that is. Like, for example, on my SL7, it's in in my seat post. Seat so post, you have to get right. back there on my um, Cervelo on my Sparrow. I put it in the bar end, which is kind of like the normal place mm-hmm. to put it these days. So you could just reach down to your bar end and reset it. But then the derailleur has to go through all the gears. It, it's not a super duper complicated thing to reset it, but it's also not. It's not going to take you just like three seconds. It's not like your chain drops off. You shove it back on and you just go, you know? 
Maybe he had one of those indestructible rear derailers that we talked about in a previous episode. No, not with Shimano. <laughs> yeah. no. I know. Yeah, that's not what he had. Everything in tw- I mean, he was on 12 speeds, Ryan. Everything 12 speeds in the rear derailleur. The, the brains aren't in the battery. There's no A-junction anymore for who cares. I mean, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if for pros, Shimano, um, maybe for the like pro mechanics, if they couldn't hack it, like if there's an, an like a special team software that. Uh, I don't know, because I remember that um, someone's I don't know if it was uh, it was someone from EF. I don't I don't remember. I don't feel remember if it was Bissinger in a in a time trial, but it was someone from EF that their their bike went into crash mode. And there was a someone had that exact conversation that said, can't you turn it off for pros? And they were basically like, no. There's no way to turn it off. So what is the know. purpose of crash mode? That's so your derailleur, if it's bent significantly in, it doesn't shift into your spokes and then rip your derailleur and your spokes apart when you're trying to ride it all of a sudden versus it, it just gets a safety mechanism. Yeah, just a quick it forces you to do a quick check before you ride off again. Okay. I mean, you can ride in whatever gear you're in. You just can't shift gears anymore because yeah, it, yeah. it, it just wants to lock it in place where it is so you don't do any further damage. That's the idea. I actually think it's kind of dumb, personally, but it is what it is. It's in there. So, Chad, I just don't it, charge the battery. It causes yeah, 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 exactly. Randy has a lot of experience with this sort of thing. Chad, we're in an elevator. Uh, we have 30 seconds. Tell me what you liked or disliked about Gravel Worlds. Go. I mean, I, I just, I just, it's a dumb event. It should have just been a world tour like stage. Like I, I you, there's no place for the Jersey and basically the whole field is a world tour pro. So we can have it to, it's the whole point of this event is to sell gravel bikes. So let's just make it be a regular stage race of the world tour and call it done. Right. Cause there's, well, like, I, I mean, I, I would, the only thing I would say to that is that the, this race did have, qualifying races in in various countries various kind not you know all over the world there were qualifying races that you didn't have to have a world you didn't have to be part of a world tour team to be in this so it did allow people like Keegan Swenson Sarah Sturm and and Sofia Gomez Villafane and all these other people that are you know Payson McElveen that are not on teams and you know Ethan and Kylie were able to qualify and be selected by their federations and, and race in this race that was not that they didn't have to be part of a team all year to be selected because you can't just show up like you and I can't just show up to a world tour race and be like, Hey, we want to enter. That's just not how it works. So there is that. I will say for that, there's a little bit of a different dynamic there than, than it just being a world tour race to try to sell gravel bikes. Well, and if it was part of the tour, I don't know that, I mean, I think the bikes of choice, I mean, it obviously depends on the route, but I think they wouldn't have chosen gravel bikes if it was part of the tour. Just Not not the Tour de France, a world tour race. It's a race. Well, like, like, there's races where we pick an aero bike. There's races where we pick a mountain bike. This is a race where we pick the big tire road bike. That's That's all basically this was. Well, there is one thing you said that I will agree with you on, and that's I do think the timing of this event could be better because there's too many people spread out over different places. And I think my argument was going to be, if you're just a fan of cycling, I love this event. Like if you could have like mountain bike people there 
and gravel people there and world tool tour people there and some maybe some b list people there and all competing for the same thing like that is that's awesome that's like i don't know like when you use i i feel like this is a dying phenomenon but like when you used to watch like the home run derby at the all-star game or something like it's unique it's different or sometimes they have like they used to have like celebrity versus nba people for like the um the all-star week or whatever like having all these people come together and ride one event as a right. fan of cycling is super awesome. Like I understand that it's, it's not classic cycling. I understand that it's not um, within the spirit of gravel or whatever, but I think having all these kind of hodgepodge of people show up in Italy to race this one day race is really cool personally. I do think that's cool. I don't know about your analogy. I mean, Randy, do do you remember watching the celebrity all-star basketball games when 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 you know when we were younger? I mean, that was not a serious basketball game, was it? So no, it's like the. I mean, it's like the Pro Bowl as well in football. It's all it's, you know, everybody's in protective mode. I mean, look, I remember watching one of these the the um the, the celebrity basketball games and the guy well, who's the guy that plays Urkel. He was he was in this game and he was like balling. The dude was a baller. Well, <laughs> I, I, I was uh, was Kevin Hart in this gravel race on the yeah, exactly weekend? exactly. So I think maybe, that was a bad analogy. Maybe poor analogy, but having all these people from dis- different disciplines, and it could be even better if they timed it. But be- like, I would have loved to see Pitcock there. Um, like, if you had it at a different time where everyone that wanted to be there could be there. Um, I think it's really cool and I'll be interested to see, um, if they make this, like, where's it going to be next year? Like if they make, like, this could be a really cool thing if they make it geographically. What's that, Mike? Probably Manhattan, Illinois. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that's going to be it, bro. I don't think it's going to be in Manhattan, Illinois. (laughs) The last few years now. Stockton, Illinois. I honestly think where the winner is of this year should be where the race takes place. Next. That's a good so idea. So Slovenia and Poland. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. That's what I think. I mean, let's let's make it have some credibility, I guess. I mean, I don't know what else to do with this. If you're just going to have a, a one-off weird gravel race in Italy at the end of the season every year for anyone who didn't qualify for an actual other event. I mean, that's... Mm. Careful, careful, Chad. Don't upset our Italian listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. This, this was kind of... A, <laughs> it's a throwaway race. You've won a rainbow jersey. You'll never get to wear again on television. Like no. you didn't, you wore it on the podium here. That's it. Done. Wear it Everybody to the deserves a participation trophy, Chad. I think there are less valuable um, jerseys to have besides this one from stories I've heard and things I've watched. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a rainbow jersey, so that's exciting, right? I mean, no matter no matter if you can wear it again or not. I mean, do you remember the year, Chad, that they did the? Um, team time trial or maybe did they still do it this way the world champion team trial time trial was a mixed re- mixed relay with men and women you remember that I thought that was an exhibition thing only i didn't think that- no, no 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 there was a world championship for that it was a team time trial mixed relay men and women for the country and clearly that was never you were never going to wear that jersey because that was a format that just completely didn't exist outside of the one world championship race 
But the people still competed for it. They still wanted to win the the rainbow jersey because there's some excitement to that. So, <laughs> so there was, I mean, did you see Cassia Nubadoma? She was very excited to win that race. Yeah. You know, she was she was stoked. There was pavement in this race. So does that mean they can wear these jerseys at Flanders? No, no. Why not? No, because that's a road race in the road. But it's not the road winners are wearing their their road jer- the yeah. road ra- rainbow jersey. They have two rainbow have- jerseys. That's why I said if you're this should be its own jersey. Right, if it's UCI points and it's basically a hybrid road jersey, I think it should be some other format that would allow you to wear it on the road. Right? Maybe in the in the spirit of gravel, it should be like a baggy a baggy shirt. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Button up with car- collars. <laughs> no, no. But but again, I think I, I I don't think we should get hung up on the jersey. I think that there was some. I think it was a cool race. I think it was a cool event. Now I will say that the the coverage of it was pretty poor and you know that happens when it's a, a something new and and you know it's not quite the same as a road race because they were not just going down like literal roads so, i mean i don't did you guys see any highlights of the footage uh, of this stuff those, i mean those descents were pretty narrow it was almost like mountain, yeah mountain bike technical single track like smooth single track but with some hairpins in it, it was it was cool looking from what i saw um, but, but again, why couldn't you've just raced some of those sections on a, on a mountain bike? I mean, the thing is we've, we've had competitive road, we have competitive mountain bike and we have competitive cyclocross, all of which are venues that you can compete in, which kind of have all the same skill sets of gravel. The whole point for gravel was it was for those of us who didn't do any of those, we could go out and just kind of ride with less traffic and cars. I, I, I don't know what to do with this because it seems like if you have a great skill set for road cyclocross or mountain bike, you could just go compete at the high level in any one of those sports, which again, we're all basically taking place this same weekend. Um, now you get to go pick a fourth venue. You want to, you want to go try out. I'm, I just, I don't know that I want this to become a thing. It's already, a, well, it doesn't matter what you want. It is, it is a thing. And <laughs> regardless if you want it or not, it's going to be a thing. Supposedly there is a cyclocross lap at the beginning, which I like the idea of that. I just wish it wasn't right at the beginning. Like put it, put it 40 miles in or something. Once people have a chance, I don't know. Like, I feel like I don't actually know for sure where Wout crashed, but I feel like a lot of people's day days were ended prematurely because of that. And I mean, I guess that's racing and I need to get over it, but I don't, I don't mind it being there, but put it like, seven miles in or something not right at the beginning all, all lifetime gravel events and 10 minutes after they start ryan for a lot of people <laughs> so i want to ask you guys a question so randy and mike that are i mean randy you you actually got into road racing this year with the tour for sure um but you know randy and mike are are somewhat into racing but not quite as much as the other three of us so did you guys have any interest in this UCI Gravel World Championship? So I'm gonna start with you, Randy. Like, like, did you even know this race was going on? Were you interested? Did you have any kind of like, oh, I wonder if it's uh, if it's on somewhere I can watch it? I might watch it if it happens to be on. Or was it completely like non-interest for you? All right. <clears throat> in full transparency, no, I I wasn't aware of it going on, with the exception of you, our chat that we. That mm-hmm. we have together, mm-hmm. so I do. I do see those chats, and I do skim through them from time to time to try to catch what you guys are saying. <laughs> because these, these chats are voluminous. Let's just say facts, <laughs> right? So 
you missed an hour. You got like 950 missed messages. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, so I'll, I'll tell you, Eric, I think it's timing for me. So I realized that these weren't on these, these, this, this race, this particular race was not easily accessible for us here mm-hmm. stateside. So would I have watched it if it was probably not on the weekend when I, when I found myself watching the tour, for instance, it was during the workday and I had my TV on in the background and I was able to watch it. I'm just being fully transparent. So is it one of those things that I've graduated to being a full-time racing enthusiast? Not yet. Um, I will say though, um, I am very much looking forward to the tour again last next year. And, and as I see that you guys talk about many of these other races, I do feel as though I'm missing out to a certain extent and probably will start engaging and watching more of them as, 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 as they start to come about, you know, in the future. All right. All right. Mike did, did, Oh, go ahead, Randy. Yeah. I mean, Ryan. I was just going to say, can't be so focused on the tour, man. Like the, you got the spring classics and those are like the, the, I mean, in my opinion, I, I get more hyped for the spring classics than I do the yeah. tour. Yeah. I, I definitely, I'm definitely a classics guy. I, I like those races for sure. But I, I but, will check those out. I think the one last year, which really has piqued my interest, is there was a horse on the course at one point. I thought that was kind of <laughs> yeah. cool on the women's race. Yeah, on the women's hear, race. It was Weebus, yeah. right? You could hear her scream. No, that was Demi. But, but in any case, so, so Mike, were, were you at all interested in watching these races this weekend? Uh, the fact that I had to put in any effort to maybe get a, a VPN on my computer and uh, sign up for a subscription, no. <laughs> had it had it been on Peacock, I probably would have gone out of my way to make sure I could watch the beginning of it and see how it's going to develop and maybe stay home and skip my Saturday ride. But even while I was riding on Saturday, at, not at one point that I ever think to check with you or anybody else that was following to see uh, – you know, who was leading the race, where the the big names were in the race or that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, there was I had a little bit of interest in it, but I wasn't going to go out of my way for it. Yeah. So so I think that's a good point. I think the as as much as it was interesting is an interesting race, it, it really wasn't captivating the the someone who wasn't already like a big gravel fan like like chad if this would have been not required a vpn would you have watched it uh yeah i might have like if it was on gcn i probably would have tuned in for bits and pieces of it i don't think i would have stopped my saturday ride but when i got back if it was still on i would have definitely tuned in yeah so so one of the things about this and and again it could just come down to the um you know that it being a quote-unquote new discipline or whatever you want to however you want to phrase that but the men's coverage, the, the coverage of the men's race didn't really even kick off until the three guys that ended on the podium were away from the group. You mean it was like a it was like a women's regular women's world tour cover? <clears throat> yeah, basically, exactly. It's something like that, like the crap coverage we get on a on a standard women's world tour race. But the you know, so basically, when the coverage started, you had Mahorich and actually the three of them were were in a group. So you had Mahorich. Versmirch and Connor Swift were were in a group, and eventually Versmirch and Mahorik went ahead, and they kept they were able to keep some sort of coverage of Connor Swift, and then um, Mahorich went off on and, and w- was able to drop Versmirch on one of the climbs, and then it was like they only had coverage of the two the front two guys. That was it. They didn't even have coverage of Connor Swift. They didn't have coverage of the the group behind. 
So all you saw was Mahorich going down these crazy descents. And I will give that guy who was ever riding that that motorcycle some sort of credit because he was bombing down these descents to keep up with Mahorich. It was pretty impressive. But they didn't have it wasn't like watching a world tour race. OK, they didn't have they had some time gaps up there, but you really didn't know what was going on. You really didn't know how the race was unfolding. So to your point, Mike, if you would have tuned in, you might have been like, well, I don't even I don't even know what's going on here. I just see two guys racing. I'm just I'm going to turn this off. Mm-hmm. so it might not have been the best thing now then for the women's race they just didn't have any coverage at all so the only thing we knew is we saw reports on instagram or twitter or something of who who might have been in what positions based on someone just happened to be posting an instagram story and then you know we ultimately found out that Cassio won and we saw a few highlights here and there on on media websites so at the end of the day the coverage wasn't that great but i think you know what i wanted to talk about is we did have we did have some discussions about this on our you know our internal uh chat here but i would want to get your guys's opinions on if the uci did did anything wrong or if they should have done better or what when it comes to the coverage of these races. So I don't know if you guys saw Sophia posted um, after she finished and she said, and I'll quote now for the big headline of inequality of coverage, it is unacceptable and there's no arguing that. I also think it's important to note that the responsibility of coverage falls under the event organizer and not the UCI. The UCI has now made it mandatory for event organizers to televise the elite men and women's gravel races going forward. So this issue should never happen moving forward. So I guess, I mean, I don't know if that's valid or not, but according to Sophia, who has been very vocal and um, kind of a change agent for women's cycling, especially gravel in the United States, um, I would trust what she wrote and I would think that, um, you know, I have no reason to not believe that. So maybe it wasn't UCI, maybe it was whoever organized it. And I don't know who that actually was, but now we could still get men and women's coverage next year and it still be trash. Um, mm-hmm. but at least mm-hmm. we'll get some coverage. It sounds like. Now quickly, just to, to comment on that, the UCI is not a race organizer, but from what I understand, they kicked out the race organizer that had been doing it and brought a different one in uh, late in the game. And I'm not sure how much the UCI was not involved in the organization of this versus was involved, right? Yeah. And I guess my question would be, if they're making that rule for next year, why didn't they just make it already for this year? They already have rules about coverage for women's races when they're going to be in if they're world tour status or, or there's certain criteria that require a certain amount of coverage of all races, men's and women's. So why, why did they wait until after this to make that declaration? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think it's really easy to poo poo UCI. So, I mean, I don't know enough about it to comment, but if it is the race organizer, proxy through uci like i think the uci in a way is equally to blame but i don't really know enough about it to 
speak my piece, I guess. No. Well, go ahead, Mike. No, I was going to say I agree with Ryan. There, it's if if that rule exists, the UCI has got to be better about enforcing it and saying, "Hey, we're going to go get a new race organizer next year." If if you you know if they failed to uphold their requirements. Well, I think that's a new requirement, is what I'm saying. I don't think yeah. that was a, a, a an official on the books requirement. Gotcha. And and I guess my question, I guess that was a lot of the the concern is like, well, why? You know, that's great that the UCI is saying this now, but why weren't they saying it before? Yeah. But I guess you know we did have some internal discussion. It's like, okay, should it should it be a requirement that the women's race is, um is does get coverage or not because there was a lot of you know discussion when it was you know quote unquote announced that the women's race was not going to be covered and you know there was maybe there's different opinions on that so i mean are we all in agreement here that the the women's race should have had the same coverage as the men's whether the men's was crappy or not should at least have had the same crappy coverage was the course well, the same length I mean, this no, in fact, it wasn't. The women's course was shorter, in fact. I mean, it, I mean, I don't. Go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't want to put any one of you guys on the spot, but um, I think it should have been covered. And if you already had whoever you were paying there to cover the men's event, it, I mean, it couldn't have been exponential like i don't like it couldn't have been that much more financially of a burden to televise the women's race and then on top of that i feel like there's enough people within the cycling world that are advocating for women's cycling that if if it was a financial burden if you said hey trek can you spot us however much or hey like whoever i think people would have stepped up to the plate to make sure that they had tv coverage just like the men if for some reason, truly the UCI or whoever the organizing body couldn't afford it. Um, I just feel like, I mean, I said in our group chat, like I think in 2023, the state of the world, like this is unacceptable in my opinion. So, and I, I was, I had a different viewpoint on this. And my whole thing is, is we don't know what it costs, but the argument could be made. But I even saw some, someone, some comments on, one of the pages of a, a guy that said, I don't care to watch the girls. It's like watching WNBA. And that was after I had made comments to you guys about <laughs> comparing it to the WNBA. So it was, it was kind of funny that I saw that comment. But I know, and I'm not really beating you down, Ryan. So I'm just using you as an example. As you say, hey, there's a lot of women that are into cycling. But we don't know the numbers. It could be 100 times for men versus women. Um and that's the one thing that I have a hard time swallowing, Ryan, when you talk about, hey, there's a lot of women that are into cycling. There's a lot of women cyclists. There are. But when you compare it to percentages or the quantity around the world versus men, um, maybe, you know, these people, I'm sure, have the metrics or the analytics somewhere that are telling them that our viewership is tiny or even the women that are in the cycling prefer to watch the men cyclists. So... If there is a cost difference, of course, for recording that and putting it out there and broadcasting it. Now, I 100% agree that if, if the cost is minimal, they absolutely should have just had both of them on there. But my whole viewpoint on this stuff is just coming from seeing the stuff in the, the news or social media the last year as far as women's soccer 
versus men's soccer or WNBA versus NBA. And I didn't even know about those metrics until a month ago. I saw something somewhere that said WNBA loses money every single year. The only reason they exist is because the NBA is paying for that whole league and paying for those salaries. So, um, you know, I having two daughters, of course, I would love to have women's stuff like this grow, but it, I guess I just take it at face value. I don't necessarily think that there was any ill intention by the organizers. I, I think somebody either dropped the ball or said, yeah, we're not going to do this. We're not, it's not worth it for us to uh, broadcast. Well, this. Go ahead, Chad. Go ahead, Chad. I have a take, but I want, let's, I want to hear what you have to say. Chad. So the cynic in me is going to be that there, the, the outcry from us, the masses, the people are not why the UCI has now made that statement. The UCI has made that statement because they're not going to have a field show up next year. Because none of the bike sponsors are going to let anybody show up at a race that's no longer televised. Because you had all these camo bikes that showed up. I'm sure they didn't show up because someone... I'm sure somebody thought this race was going to get televised at some point. And you have all these bike sponsors so, show up, right? And nobody got to see any of it. So, you know, if they didn't make that statement... Well, I, nobody's going to go to this next year to not have that, it. That is, that is a bit cynical. And I, I, think, I think Ryan made this point before that, I mean... Unbound's not televised and there's tons of sponsorship there because it's not that nobody saw the bike. They, they, I saw Cassia's bike a million times, a million times. I saw it all over Instagram. I saw it all over the internet. I saw it all over everywhere. So even though the race itself wasn't televised, that's just, that doesn't mean that in this day and age that the sponsors don't get their, their equipment out there. And I do think the women probably wanted to race the race. You saw that there was some, like I said, Cassia was stoked about this. Demi Vollering seemed pretty excited to try to do this. I mean, there was a lot of excitement around this from the athletes themselves. So I do think that, um, you know, there was value to this outside of it being on TV or not. But I mean, I do know what you're I do hear what you're saying is that there is a sponsorship model in cycling that requires some sort of exposure to make that sponsorship model work, because if there's no exposure, then cycling just doesn't exist anymore from a professional level. Right. I mean, so I do get that. Obviously I didn't see the race, but the fact that there is no, or seemingly no team tactics. Like I know there was teams there kind of like we, we saw the social media lead up to the U S guys riding in support of Keegan. But the fact that it's kind of just like gloves off, like, shred your quads to death and see who wins is like i love that um i mean to be honest no, we don't know if that happened because i haven't seen a lot of race reports of what happened in the first 50 kilometers because all we saw was the three guys off the front in the men's race and we didn't see any of the women's race so yeah and, and it's hard you got to remember it's hard for journalists to write a race report when they can't watch the race so then you have to sort of rely on the athletes themselves to give you their own race report of what happened. And that's not going to be as reliable as a neutral party watching it and giving you some sort of sure. recap of what happened. You know what I mean? So there very well might've been team tax tactics that we didn't get to see sure. or yet hear about. I just feel like, I mean, I don't actually know the answer to this, but I feel like in any other UCI event, there is women's and men's coverage. Like, or at least well, anything I can think of off the top of my head. Yes. And for, so, for world championships, of course. So, like, of course. why would you, 
if you did it for 29 other events, why would you not do it for this event? Yeah, it's a good question. That's what people were, were kind of pissed about. But I, you guys gave some takes. And then, uh, Randy, do you have a take about this? If, about the Because I, I, I have something I wanted to respond to a couple of your points about. But do you have something, a, a take on this? You know, I struggle. I mean, I think... <clears throat> I think people tell there's a cost associated to for you know for these things right and I think I think a lot of these things are done the costs are weighed against viewership and what the return is obviously they're going to get offset some of those costs with commercials and in sponsorships etc you know I think when we look at you know when we look at more of the um, the approach that we have chartered somewhat of the we chartered our podcast on is commitment to building community i think by default i go towards yeah we should have female racing you know racings to to expose the the younger generation of you know potential mm -hmm. up-and-comers so i feel as though that is the reason but if you look at it from a business case i don't think it's going to make sense for the race for the racers or excuse me for the race to do so because i don't think you get a return on that all right so couple things i wanted to respond so randy both you and 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 um oh wait, actually you mike and ryan all talked about the financial aspect of it and you know we're talking about like is there you know how many women are, are watching versus men watching and i i do think it's very much a miss you know i, I don't think it's true to say well you know, the women are going to watch the women and the men are going to watch the men. I, a, I don't think that's true. I think, you know, plenty of women will watch the men's race and plenty of men will watch the women's race. So it's it's not uh, – uh, I don't think it's relevant how many women are into cycling or how many men are into cycling. I think it's relevant is how many people are going to watch the different events, right? And if – and to be completely transparent, I don't think the men's race probably made a ton of money in terms of – uh, like earning profit for the broadcast. I mean, I'm really not sure they didn't have commercial. I mean, races don't really have commercials, so to say. It's not like in an NFL game where there's all these stops in the action and they just keep running to, you know, running all these commercials all day. Um, so I'm not even sure that the men's race made, quote unquote, made money on the broadcast, right? I think it partly has to do with what Chad was saying is creating this exposure and people are going to, expect some sort of exposure because that's going to infuse money into the into the um sport through sponsorship and so on right but this is the point that i would make and you know from what you guys were saying and, and randy kind of hit on it right so the uci the uci is not a race organizer the uci is not out there to run races okay do you know the the mission statement of the UCI? To make dumb rules. No, they're no. just they're just the governing body of the sport. The UCI, straight from their website, their main missions are as follows. I'm not going to read this word for word. You can go look it up on the UCI website. But to manage and promote cycling as a competitive sport, to ensure the organization of the UCI World Championships, to offer cyclists from the five continents the possibility to access the highest level. And then th this is this is important here to encourage the development of cycling as a healthy leisure activity and a sustainable means of transport. 
So the UCI as a governing body is trying to basically promote and establish and maintain cycling as an activity. That's what they're about. Okay. So if you're the UCI, right, this is my take. Their responsibility is to try to promote cycling. We'll just put it that way to promote cycling, not only as a competitive sport, but also as an activity, as something we do to get around. That's what the UCI is about, right? So if you have a race that has elite women in it, it's like Randy said, you want to promote that race to allow the younger generation to become inspired and interested and become someone who will take up cycling, right? If you're the UCI, what you want to do is get the women's race televised because if you get the women's race televised and younger girls see people like them riding bikes and they say, I can do that. Let me get a bike. Let me get out there and get on a bike versus just seeing men doing it. It increases the probability that younger women, even older women, but especially younger women or girls are going to be more willing to take up bike riding a bike, whether that's for competitive reasons, whether that's for leisure reasons, whether that's for, you know, fitness reasons, whether it's to get to work, you're just going to increase the probability. I'm not saying that every single woman or girl that sees a bike race on TV is all of a sudden going to jump on a bike and it's going to be like that change the world, but it increases the probability of, of women taking getting on a bike and riding it although that is wishful thinking though because going back to the like nba and wnba i think that's one of those things where wnba showed up and all the women that were watching the nba they don't really care to watch the wnba you know but i would say mike i would say i tend to think that the nba is not promoting or sustaining or holding up the WNBA out of charity. I actually think that like I was saying that the NBA is basically trying to foster an environment where basketball is popular. And if women or young girls are able to see the WNBA, it makes them more likely to become basketball fans. And more basketball fans means more revenue for the NBA as well. So I bet you there's a, to me, there's a good chance that you have someone that's looking at the book saying, if we can get more women, because again, it's not like, you know, it's not like women pay less money for their ticket at the game or they pay less money when they buy a Jersey. I mean, everyone is the same here, right? And 50% of the population is women. So if they're saying, Hey, look, if we look at our fan base 20 years ago and it's, you know, 70, 70% men, how do we get more women involved? How do we get more women interested? How do we get more women to spend their money yeah. on basketball? And it's very possible that they've done the analysis, like you said, and making and upholding the WNBA that as a individual entity might lose money, it might make money for the total NBA slash basketball community in the end, because now potentially they have a higher probability of women being basketball fans and they're spending money towards basketball, whether that's WNBA, NBA, whatever. It's the same thing with cycling. If you have younger women 
or girls more likely to get into cycling, that's more money into cycling in general. And for us, we have a totally different thing because like basketball, it it happens on a closed court in some park somewhere or in some gym somewhere. But cycling happens out on the street everywhere, right? We're we're every day we're out on the street with cars. We're out on the street to some extent taking risks that basketball players aren't because we're on a bike out there in the road and the more people on bikes the better it is for everybody involved with bikes and for them to put a women's race on that will hopefully well you know that it will get younger women and girls and even older women can have their eyeballs on women doing the same thing it's just going to increase the probability that you have more women in cycling in general and that's why the UCI should be getting the women's coverage not because it's a business decision for that specific race on that specific day in that specific place but because it's an investment in the sport in general even if it requires you to spend more money that maybe you don't make up on that day the idea is you're going to get more women into the sport and you're going to get more long-term revenue and long-term sustainability and long-term success of the sport in general. So that's my take on that. So even if it would have cost them a little bit more money, and even if they potentially would have quote unquote lost money financially on the business side of it on that specific day, I still think it's a valuable thing. And I think they should do continue to do that. And I think that's how they're going to, continue to grow the sport and that's going to benefit all of us it's going to benefit the five guys in this podcast right now because you're going to have more women therefore more people out there riding bikes alongside of us and advocating for the things that we want to advocate for making our lives better making our less risk for us when we're out there on the bike and then think about it for our kids boys or girls if we can improve the state of cycling it's better for them as well so i think that this is something that the uci does need to do and they need to look at it from that perspective and i am disappointed that they didn't show the women's race and i think that that's something that we need to as cycling enthusiasts we need to push the people that are in charge of these things to say that's the sort of thing we want anyway that's my take on it so agree or disagree that's my take (laughs) i think what would also hurt them eric and ryan even if they uh televise that the woman's race i don't think they're going to make the headway at least with the american or united states viewership um until they have a, a better broadcasting platform something like espn espn2 or nbc or abc sports or whatever that you have um something that's more i don't know mainstream for people flipping through the channels or where they get their typical Saturday college, you know, game day sports stuff, um, you know, to have something where we have to go through a VPN or have to have one of three different uh, subscriptions, it's not exactly convenient for the family to just be like, hey, let's see what kind of, you know, racing is on TV today. I, I do agree with you, Mike, but I guess my point is to that. It doesn't matter. We're not going to have cycling on ESPN, whether, you know, no matter what, anytime soon. But I think what we're what we need to do is we should all be advocating for growing the sport. And it would be great. I think all of us would like it if 
they showed cycling on ESPN and they talked about it on the sports center or whatever we want to, you know, whatever forum we want to talk about, but that's not going to happen if we don't grow the sport. And to be honest, I'm not hopeful that that's going to happen in my lifetime, to be honest with you. But the point is, you're not going to grow the sport by only growing it with the people that are already into it. You have to grow the sport by getting additional people interested in cycling. And if what you're saying is potentially true, Mike, that there's more men into cycling than women, all the more reason that we should try to reach out and get more women interested in cycling because that's how we're going to grow the sport. I mean, if you're trying to grow your audience, you probably, if you already have a ton of guys, it's probably easier to go after women in that case. You see what I'm saying? So it's in my opinion, the UCI should be trying to take whatever it can, whatever steps it can to grow cycling as a sport. And, and that does mean out, outreach to women. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's something that they, they, we should actually be advocating for, because again, it's going to, if it grows cycling, it's better for all of us as well. Yeah. Don't disagree. Mike Green, you have a factoid? I do not. Oh man, come on. <laughs> I had a travel day. I'm focused on work this week. I got nothing. Oh, yeah. I, Chad, you got a bailout? Yeah, I'm running out of these. You know that, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, oh boy, you, you have another one. I only had three to begin with. There's not many of these left, guys. Like, we're going to run out of Chad Locker factoids real soon here. So, all right. <laughs> so, if you want to know where some of the names come from in cycling, they evolve over time, right? And some of them have some pretty unique stories. So, if we go back to where headsets started on a bike, right? We had quill stems, threaded. For anyone who wasn't aware of this, if you maybe you have an old enough bike or a BMX bike in a house, when your fork attaches to the frame, there's threads on top of the steerer tube, and the whole thing kind of threads together. Anyway, so at some point in the 90s, mountain bikes, being the innovative tech that they were, went to a threadless, as we know it today, headset. So there's no threads on the top. You just kind of stick the steel tube through, and then the bearings are on there. So there was one brand that was pretty innovative for this. and actually had a marketing name for it. It was kind of clever at the time. It was called a headset, meaning it was a head of the time. But it also is kind of a generic pun, right? Just, just a headset. So that's kind mm-hmm. of cool. So you don't see these anymore, do you? I doubt anyone here has a bike with an A headset on it other than I've owned a couple of these because I've had, you know, numerous bikes over time. So the brand has gone. Well, the brand is gone because it's been evolved and it bought out over time and the name had to change. Well, what most people don't realize is the new name it has today is kind of a kind of by accident. So the the bike I can't give it away cuz that'll be the punchline here at the end of the actually. But <laughs> so when the marketing name had to they had to change where this is going to come from. We weren't going to call it a headset anymore cuz it was just too generic of a sounding name. Um, the, the key guy on, on marketing didn't realize he was talking to the print shop about the boxes that were get made up for the new headsets. And they were joking around with him and said, well, what, what do you, what do you think we ought to call the new name? I'm calling you. I, we got to start printing the boxes for these things. And he goes, well, okay, well, why don't you just throw whatever you want on the box? No, no, no. You got, you got to give me the new name for this thing. And he goes, well, it, it, it can creak. <laughs> and he, he joked about it. Not, not, not well, well, the guy didn't quite hear through the, phone right he didn't write down it can creak he he wrote down cane creek and that's that's, that's awesome. what's on the boxes today and that is that is not a joke a, a headset did become cane creek to this <laughs> how, wow, did, uh, how did the envy wheels get their name 
I, I don't. Tune that's, in, for tune another, in, yeah. that's for another. That's for another next show. week to find out. Well, well, Envy isn't the original name for that wheel. If you like to go about it, it was. It had a different name, but they got sued by the Ford Motor Company. Uh, and then they had. Oh, really? Envy forks were not Envy forks; they were Edge. Mm-hmm. This is a good story. Stay, we should write this stay down. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> we should write this down. <laughs> there's, for one, there's too that's, many. That's like, <laughs> there's too many vowels for for one. No, you need to look at the logo. I'm dead serious. Like the Envy logo is a play on the original logo, which was Edge. Uh, all right. If if you have hung, right, here, we'll go. If you have hung around this long to the end of our <laughs> podcast, you must either be a sadist or you actually like us. So if you do like us, please. Click the like button, give us a five-star rating on whatever app you are using to listen to our podcast, and tell all of your friends about us. Because really, we do need to grow our listenership beyond the 10 of you that are subscribed right now. And for those of you that need a little bit of visual cues to go along with this podcast, Eric has promised he's going to put up some UCI Gravel content on our Instagram feed this week. Sure. We will do, we will do that. We will put up some. We did you like that uh, Surly Crush check we put up last week? Jack? That was that was fantastic. That I was remember good. when the catalog shot came out. That was a great. <laughs> that was so. Good. <laughs> yeah, so we'll put some UCI gravel content, men's and women's, both, up on the Velo Chumps Instagram. All right, guys, good show. Hope you have a good time out there in Marin County, Mike. Maybe get a mountain bike ride in. Maybe if you're lucky. Have fun out there in Canton, and then uh, Ryan and Randy will just hang out here in the uh, New Lenox, Frankfurt area. Got to so. get your tap ride on tomorrow. Yeah, something. All right, guys. All right, guys. Talk to you. Catch you next week. Good night, guys. Bye. Thinking about bikes. Talking about bikes. Hey, have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.